Hello, I'm Sarah Connolly and today I'm talking to Isla Roundtree who's an incredible icon of British cycling from being a national champ, national cyclocross champion, national mountain bike champion, pioneer of early cyclocross, I'd say, to the founder and run owner of Isla Bikes, which has completely transformed children's bikes in Britain and the world. Hello, Isla. Good morning. Isla, I am fascinated by your story. I, I just want to know everything about you, but I particularly want to know about, it feels like with you, you've always been about creating change. Can you tell us a little bit how you got into cycling and your mad, mad journey? Um, I had my first bike for my fourth birthday and it was a secondhand bike that my parents had got and my dad cleaned it up and touched up the scratches. And it's the birthday present or present that I received as a child that made the biggest impression on me and the most memorable thing. And I think my love affair with cycling started right there. And I experienced all the regular cliches that people associate with their first experience with cycling. It's freedom. It's the first thing that you have as a child uh, that's much more than a toy. I wouldn't even call it a toy. It's transport, independence and freedom. And that's where it began for me. But I also quite early on engaged with that as a mechanical object, an object of interest that I wanted to tinker with, fix and modify. And I can remember doing that all through my childhood. And that led to my father taking me to my first bicycle race, which was a local club time trial when I was 12 on a Wednesday evening. And that's, that's how I got introduced to traditional cycling club life. And then from there took part in club runs. And some of those were rough stuff. We'd have rough stuff sections. You know, that, that's the parlance of the, the day, but that would now be called off-road. But on, on the same bikes that we rode on the road, that we toured on, that we went to school or work on, and that we raced on. It was one bike, did everything <laughs> wow. in those days. And I, yeah, participated in club life regularly. And then mountain bikes started to appear in Britain in the mid-80s I think and well that's when they, they came into my consciousness and because I was already riding off-road a bit and loving it it was a natural thing for me to do somebody lent me a one of the very early mountain bikes in the UK when I was about probably 15 16 and I started riding that and because it was called a mountain bike the first thing I did with it was try and take it up mountains <laughs> in the Rhinogs in Wales and <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> right to the top because it was called a mountain bike so why not and I, I quickly realized quickly realized it was actually a better experience to ride among the mountains rather than just to go try and go right to the top around the edges of the mountains well yeah it, among them I like to say and I still do that now so yeah and I got my first job in a bike shop when I was still at school I'd be about 16 and that was working, maybe 15, 16, that was working on Saturdays and in the school holidays. And by then, cycling had become the dominant thing in my life, and both socially, sport, and, yeah, my early work life, my first work experience. So wow. That's where it began. <laughs> and you were involved in cyclocross before there were even, like, cyclocross world championships and world cups. And you were very instrumental in actually helping cyclocross progress as a sport, weren't you? Just um, correct you slightly on there. And there were, there were world championships and world cups for men. And they've been going yeah. for years. But there weren't any for women when I started. And there was no 
recognition of women in cyclocross at all when I first started. I did my first race at Wolverhampton when I was 19. Mm-hmm and there were no other females there at all and they put me at 19 in with the children's race it's called the juvenile race at that time which felt a bit odd as an adult racing with children yeah and I loved it straight away as a sport and I, I was I was riding mountain bikes regularly then as well but I had had a cross bike or had a touring bike that I used for cross and I loved it and very quickly I wanted to do more of it and I wanted to get better at it because I just really enjoyed the sensation of riding fast off-road on those type of courses and the, the technical challenge as well as the physical challenge. So I started riding regularly and persuaded the local organisers not to put us in with the children but to put us in with the adults and us being the women. Um, persuaded so one or two other women to have a go that I knew that were riding bikes. Mm-hmm. And then... There's a gentleman called Keith Edwards who was one of the founders, along with his wife Joan, of Cyclocross in Britain. And he saw me race. He was in the West Midlands as well. And I, I spoke to him and expressed my interest in establishing a women's national championship. And once he actually saw me ride, he uh, very much supported me in that. And he was organising the national championships in Sutton Park and other areas at the time and became an advocate and we we uh, promoted an open midlands championship which was a non-official national championship um, with him <laughs> i persuaded lots of women to ride and that made a big enough impression on british cycling to persuade them that they could introduce an official one which they did the subsequent year and that then we had our national championship and we also were recognized within the national trophy series around that time as well and so british scene emerged and then i, I turned my attention to the international scene where the women racing cyclocross in other countries and we got our national championships in the early 90s i think i can't remember exactly but i guess it was around 1990 and then we found out that there were women in Holland were racing and they had a national championship. Mm-hmm. And so we went to some races there and women's races that were run alongside major international men's races, and World Cups. And from there, I thought it would be good to try and persuade the UCI to introduce a women's world championship. But that took a really long time of uh, persuading organisers to put on international races for women, which happened in the late 90s and World Cups did start happening in the late 90s. But it wasn't until 2000 that we finally persuaded the UCI via various international federations that I helped lobby to actually put on an official world championship for women. And that happened in St. Michael And in that race, Britain won their first ever senior elite cyclocross medal with Louise Robinson. She won a silver medal there. That's a good start. And wow. it's gone from strength to strength. And I think most people would agree that the, the most exciting race at this year's World Championship in Luxembourg was the elite women's race. Yeah. In terms of uh, yeah, a competitive spectacle. Oh, yeah. I showed it to my dad who'd never watched cyclocross and I've had friends show it to their friends who'd never watched cyclocross and it's just made people fall in love with the sport you must feel very proud looking at that and looking at this season where every major race was shown on tv even on tv in Britain and that traces back to your work 
yeah, not just me, lots of other people got on board at an early stage and, and did a lot of work behind the scenes. And I don't really think about it very often, but I have to say when World Championship weekend comes around each year and I see the women's race and I see the standard of riding and the standard of riding in the under 23 women's race technically as well as physically and I just think ah oh, it's great that's where we finally got to but boy did it take a long time. How did it happen very briefly because there were some really significant barriers and, and people just didn't think that women could ride did they? Yeah it's I don't recall the detail that well um I, I I remember that I wanted to do it I wanted it to happen and and usually if if I'm in that mindset I'm just fairly dogged at going about it and but it's a little bit of persuading cajoling and I think you need to be fired up by it's perhaps a slightly strong word but just a little titchy bit of anger in there as well because because it, it's nobody nobody does a sport because they want to go to committee meetings and AGMs and it's not why we do it but it's it's a something that needs to be done behind the scenes to make sport happen there are lots of really diligent and generous volunteers across every sport including our sport that that make the sport happen week in week out and those people are doing it for nothing in their free time because they love the sport so there's a tension between needing to persuade those people to do something extra, something else that's going to increase the amount of work they have and and the fairness for mm. providing something for both genders rather than just one um, or all genders even. And it, 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 you, 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 you are perceived, and I think particularly as a woman, when you're trying to persuade people of the merits of making these changes you can perceive you can you can become quite unpopular you can be perceived as a troublemaker mm. or as difficult and they're adjectives that are or pushy um and they're adjectives that are often used around women that are trying to affect change yeah and i think it's just part of all of our gender conditioning that we've had for so long that we perceive we we and I say we meaning women as well as men perceive women that push for something in in often quite a negative way so yeah. it's yeah it's it, it's hard and that's why you need that little bit of anger behind it to give you a preparedness to put up with that because it comes it feels like you're making yourself unpopular yeah um when you're when you're trying to make these things happen yeah, I mean, of course, people want you to feel like that, don't they? Because, you know, it's the social conditioning as well, that if they can just make you feel like you're stepping out of your lane or something and you're you're being a terrible person, then maybe you'll shut up and they won't have to deal with it. Yeah, and I don't think anybody consciously, very many people consciously behave like that when they're pushing back, when you're trying to affect change. But that is actually what's going on. I don't, I'm not sure that it's as overt in people's minds as that but it's just a product of all of our social conditioning mm, mm. and it makes it quite hard work and it, it it's only in the last oh, two weekends ago one weekend ago that um I, I attended the west midlands league agm and there are leagues all over the country that run grassroots cyclocross racing through the season and the west midlands league last week 
um, voted for a separate women's race. So next season we will have a completely standalone women's race at all the West Midlands cyclocross races. And we're the first league in the country to do that. And fair play to them, but it's 30 years since I started on this journey and that's wow. how long it's taken. Wow. Yeah, not quite 30 years. I think it's 28 years actually, but uh, yeah. Wow. It, it's close. So it just gives you an idea. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a long way. And I think partly I stopped getting involved in the um, administration of the sport uh, quite a long time ago. I did it for a long time. I organised races. I, I attended these, the, the meetings and, and uh, was part of the group of people that helped get these things happen and get our world championships in 2000. And you do tire of it, partly because of how it feels while you're doing it. And so I, do, I did other things, and not, not least of which setting up the business in the meantime. But <laughs> yeah, it felt come back to it a little bit more recently um i don't know maybe yeah maybe, maybe that fire's just been reignited in me uh, maybe even partly linked to what's gone on in world politics in the in the last six months and mm. particularly in america and the the rise of uh, the women's demonstrations around the world and you think well sport can seem really trivial alongside that but actually it's really important because it's the same thing if we don't if we accept it in our local grassroots sport uh, in inequality and uh, for, for, for women then we're accepting it in that part of our life we're then endorsing it in every other part of life that's perhaps more important and I feel it's part of the same thing so maybe that's partly what's re-motivated me just to have another go and actually when it came to it all credit to the West Midlands they've they were absolutely great at the meeting and it's gone, gone through and the organizers who will have to do more work because of it um yeah have embraced it which is brilliant Oh, it's so exciting um there's tons more about you isn't there i mean you've, you've obviously you're the world leader in children's bikes uh which is amazing and you've got the incredible imagine projects looking at making spikes sustainable in really exciting ways and where are you going next uh, apart from that or is that enough just um, that's enough <laughs> in fact it's probably the most daunting thing i've ever taken on what we're doing is we've got a project within Isla Bikes, which I'm heading up within the team with a group of three other colleagues, where we're working out um, how to provide bicycles in a much more sustainable way in the future. And this is because we believe that raw materials that we use for all of our consumer products are a finite resource and will become scarce in the future. Mm. And when when a commodity becomes scarce, the price goes up, and we believe that will make bicycles unaffordable for most families. Mm. And as a passionate cyclist, and when you're passionate about something, you're an evangelist for it, and you want other people to like what you like, and mm. I tick all those boxes. The thought of lots of children not being able to afford to access bicycles in the future is horrifying for so many different reasons, because I think the bicycle is such a simple thing, but it can provide so much. Mm. It can provide transport at its most basic level it solves transport issues in cities uh, where you can get far more people moving in much less space so it's space utilization when compared with cars it's very efficient and um, all the health benefits the social benefits the psychological well-being and 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 the thought that that might disappear for children or be reduced in terms of the number of children that can access it is is really horrifying so we're trying to work out how to do things differently so when that time in the future comes we have a solution in place 
And we're open sourcing that because um, we want other businesses in the cycling industry, but also in lots of other industries to do similar things because we mm. believe it's going to be essential for our well-being as a global society in the future. And um, there are lots of other benefits to it. It's, it's, it's just a better way of doing things, I think. There are a lot of challenges. It all sounds so simple and utopian when I say it like that, but uh, yeah, it's, it's not quite so simple when you start trying to actually do it. And it's going to take a few years for us to get it, to work it out. But I, I, I'm kind of quite confident that if anyone can do it, you can do it, Isla. Well, <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, it, I am quite scared about it as well as very excited. And um, I've managed to pull a few things off thus far in my life but it requires taking risk to do that and when you take risk you risk failure and people say we want people to take risks as though it's a great thing and it always works out the definition of risk is that sometimes it doesn't yeah. work out and I'm well aware that this time might be the time it doesn't work out for me but I've, I believe in it enough that it's worth having a go and if I fail and we fail in that we don't make it a commercial success at some point and within the context of the society in which we live for it to work it has to be a commercial success otherwise we disappear mm. and that, that somebody else can take the learning that we gain along the way and we can hand the baton on them and maybe they can make a, a success of it so I still think it, even if we don't make it work it's still a worthwhile effort as long as we can pass our learnings on but hopefully it won't come to that yeah well <laughs> yeah. Massive, massive, massive good luck. Um, if people want to find out about the Imagine Project, it's all on your site, islabikes.co.uk. There's an excellent video, and I'll put up tons of links on my site, prowomenscycling.com. Um, Isla, where else can people find you? Um, what, in, online or? Online. In, per in person? <laughs> online, in person, in the world. <laughs> well, our website's the, the obvious place, and we, I think we're on... Uh, various social media as well twitter facebook and instagram it's a mm -hmm. business there's lots about children cycling on there and lots of um not just about bikes but um helpful helpful little articles for actually doing cycling with families which is really nice and getting into racing and tips on how to cycle to school and all those good things and yeah me personally i'm just i'm you if, if i've got a choice i'm out and about on my bike in one form or another and uh, in between times Working on the Imagine Project. Wow. Well, good, 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 good luck. I, I will, well, well, we all need, we all need it to work. So, here's to the future. Thanks ever so much. It's lovely to talk to you this morning, Sarah. <laughs> Thank you.